We are not, as I mentioned earlier, the only true church friends. Try to think that way we have gone horribly awry. Go to the neighborhood PCA minister. Go to the local OPC man or our ARP brothers. Go to the Reformed Baptist minister. Tell them, let us all pray together. United prayer. We don't compromise on worship. I think most of our brethren that are spiritual will happily sing the psalms with us a cappella. And we must stand fast for that. But we must pray together. We must throw ourselves out there and say, brethren, as in that great covenant that was prophesied of, come with me. Let us go to Zion together. And we will see this is a blessed cost to bear. The second cost to bear is the promiscuous preaching of Christ and him crucified for sinners. Now you might say, this is a strange cost wrong. And I ask, is it? For the Bible says those who truly preach Christ and get crucified, truly, experientially, discerningly, discriminatorily, will be called a fool. And that is a cost that we often do not want to bear. A lot of us care to be very respectable men in our society who want to be well thought of. We will speak of anything but sin and of the need for a crucified Savior. But you are called to be fools for Christ, brothers. Because we don't want to be called fools, and we want to have a very respectable uh, veneer over our religion. It is a respectable faith, but the unconverted man doesn't see it that way, and we must not be ashamed of it. We speak of a Savior who was brutally mutilated and torn on the cross for sinners. We speak of sin that is so horrendous that the smallest of sins will send a man to hell, to outer darkness for eternity, to be tormented. We don't want to sin. We don't want to preach it. Because we know that nobody wants to hear it. And yet that is the very means the Lord uses to revive. And that is also often, and I know this because I know men who have candidated and preached this way, and I was warned about this when I go and candidate. Many pew dwellers in the RPCNA and in many Reformed churches don't want to hear preaching like that. But you have to preach that way, brother. You have to preach against sin, and you have to preach discriminatorily. They need to know not just propositional truths from the Scripture. Okay, all men are sinners. No, you are a sinner. Thou art the man. Hast thou fled to Christ? We don't preach in the manner of Paul. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, I do that, maybe imperfectly, but I do, brother. But, man, I said you will have to bear a cost. You will have to take that message to places it's not popular. It's safe in here, probably. It's not so safe out there. And that's the problem, isn't it? That's the cost that you have to bear. To go to those who don't know the Lord, who are hostile to the Lord, and proclaim that message to them. You are to take it to places where, like Whitfield, you might get pelted with a few stones, rotten eggs, and pieces of dead cat. And there needs to be more preaching in general in our midst, men, because revival begins in the house of God. If our people will be revived, they need more preaching, not less. Yes. And this may step on some toes, fine, so be it. But I know many men who find it too burdensome to preach even one sermon a week. And they're full-time ministers. I'm not talking about bivocational men. Full-time ministers, right? Our tradition has been generally three sermons. 
the midweek meeting, and two on the Lord's Day. And now men find it too hard to preach one sermon. But does revival come through less preaching or more? You just have to look historically. You just have to look at the Bible. Everywhere the disciples went, they preached the word. Because this, our children know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Not less, but more. We need more. And when God's people are revived, what is it they want to do? They don't want to turn on Netflix. They want to go and tune in to preaching. They want preaching, and you need it, and I need to supply it. I long for the day, like when religion was revived in the Reformation, where there might be preaching every day of the week mm. for the people. Yes. Because that's what they want. They want Christ, and they want to have him preached up to them. Preach more, not less, brothers. And I want to encourage you. You have been given a great gift few possess. You have a great treasure in an earthen vessel. That is really going to place before all men heaven and hell. How many can do that by God's help? Preach more. Don't bury your talent. I am firmly, firmly convinced that this great gift must be greatly used. I have had men in my congregation who have been Christians for decades. Who have told me that through the preaching of the word in our assembly. Their souls have been revived. And it's almost like they feel they've been converted again. More preaching, not less. Should we not expect it? We profess this theology. You ought to expect it, shouldn't you? If you truly believe what you, you believe uh, the Bible to teach. Oh, we love to say preaching is the greatest of the means. I don't know if you took a computer and had it analyze our churches if that would, would prove to be true. And you must preach earnestly and with urgency for souls. I have surveyed much of sermon audio in my time as a Christian and what comes out of Reformed pulpits, and there is very little earnest preaching of Christ and Him crucified. Very little earnest preaching of the horrors of our sin like leprosy and its evil, its need to be personally repented of, and then little urgency to close with Christ. We ask, where is the earnestness and urgency of 2 Corinthians 5.20 anymore? Now that we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did what? Beseech you through us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. How many reformed pulpits sound like that? God pleading with me. Be reconciled to God. Two things here is here in preaching that is blessed before revival. First, that we are earnest for their salvation. And one man put it beautifully. More importantly, God is earnest for their salvation. Where is the zeal in our preaching? We preach a lot of pretty sermons, brothers. We preach a lot of doctrinally deep sermons. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's actually good. But we seem to be lethargic for souls. We must preach up Christ and plead with men to take him. And there is a cost in preaching this way, brothers. It puts you out there. When you are pleading on Christ's behalf, you're going to face rejection. You're going to sound like a fool to many. Why is that man up there pleading with me to take Christ? As though his life depends on it, much less mine. What a fool he is. When you're rebuffed, you may be embarrassed. Don't be. Who do they reject? Christ. And what a thing 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. He is not embarrassed to put himself out there. You don't be either. When our souls are revived and we are on Holy Ghost fire, we will plead with men to, to close with Christ. 
You preach in a manner where the nominal Christian uh, is shaken of their carnal security in experiential preaching. In the great revivals of religion, the preaching of Christ is central. The third uh, cost is be willing to spend and be spent. What does the Bible say? Woe unto those who are at ease in Zion, especially the ministers. Now you might say, have you seen my salary, brother? I am not at ease in that way. And that's likely true, and I sympathize with you, brother. Uh, you ought to be cared for by your flock. And many RP ministers are not. So let me tell you this. Is that not a reflection of our people needing to be revived? Because when you see David gather the materials for the temple, he is astonished. Yes. Because the hearts of the people are revived. And God is at the center. But in Haggai's time, they say, no, I'll build my house. Let the house of God go to waste. Their hearts need revival. And when the ministers of God actually are struggling to make ends meet, that shows you we need revival. And ministers are well respected in revival. But the kind of ease I have in mind is not financial primarily, but I speak of time and exertion. Revival comes when ministers are willing to spend themselves willingly. When ministers themselves, brothers, put aside worldly entertainments and amusements, when they spend their time in prayer and in the word, devoted to the cause of the Lord, not to the neglect of their family, of course, but surely there are other things besides our family we can cast off. Amusements, things we don't need to be spending time or money on. Uh, where are we when it comes to that great command to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? No point in us preaching that to the people if that's not us. Oh, to have the heart of Paul. And I want you to hear the cost here, brothers. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, what does he say? The less I be loved. The more you love your people by faithfully discharging your duty to him, often you will bear the cost of being loved less. And you have to be willing to bear it, brother. That God's people's souls may be revived. Because... If they're just going to hear platitudes from you, there will never be a revival. Fourth cost connected to that is visitation. And the elders especially must be involved in this. We need to visit our people more and more. But with a keen interest, not just to say, oh, okay, how's little Johnny and Jane doing? What's school like? And so on. Some of that is good. But a keen interest in whether they are spiritually lethargic. Where are you when it comes to Christ being your first love? Are we okay with those who rarely darken the church door? Is there a coldness we are sensing in some of our people and they need to be exhorted to be closer to Christ? Are we okay that men and women in our congregation never pray in secret? Are we okay with that? Must we not discover these things? That they don't conduct family worship and not because, well, I guess the elders expect me to, but because I want my children to know Christ. And if that's not in their heart, there's a problem and we have to shepherd them. We have to say, it is not okay to be lukewarm. That's not my words. Christ says he will spew you out of his mouth. Woe to us if we don't take the Savior's words at face value with our people. He is going to hold us to account for every soul in our charge. And when he says he will spew out the lukewarm, we better at least warn them. Fifth cost, reformation. And this will come at a great cost. 
we need to conform our practice to the will of God. We must not be a church that is content with what we presently possess, but we are to seek to be more and more conformed to the mind and will of God. We would make a mockery, right? Our own denominational name would be a testimony God would use against us. You are called what? The Reformed Presbyterian Church? Reformed according to what exactly? The Word of God. Don't let our denominational name be a point of controversy with the Lord. If we're not reformed, we don't walk with Christ as we should. Our walk is hobbled. And that is why ultimately we yearn for reform. Because you think of this, right? Malachi 3.7. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from what? Mine ordinances. And have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. You walk away from the ordinances, you, you walk away from reform according to the practice of the word and the doctrine. He says, you are departed from me. He says, though, you return to me, and I will return to you. We have to bear the cost of reformation. We have to reform the ordinances. And I was thinking about this, and I have no particular agenda here, but in the uh, RHB documentary on revival, Given our own history with things like communion seasons, you saw how many revivals broke out at communion seasons because the people of God, right, what is part of a communion season? It's that longing and anticipation for the Lord. It's that uh, time that we have to prepare where we rend our hearts and not our garments before we come to the presence of the Lord, where we have uh, people calling for the Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Is that not even the way the Bible ends? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. How earnestly are we ministers and elders praying Christ would come down and meet us? If we are not, the people are not. We may even have the form. This is for us who do have the communion season. Uh, you can have the form of the season and have it just be tradition. Amen. Mm -hmm. You cannot have the experimental piety of it. We are to earnestly desire the Holy Ghost power and presence, not out of tradition, but earnest desire for Jesus. Sixth cost, corporate repentance. Our psalm says, turn us again. When revival comes, repentance comes. We bewail our sins as a people and we come to the Lord. And what is that going to cost you, brother? Your pride. Yes. Your pride. To admit I was wrong. That we were wrong. And we have sinned against the God of heaven. And to lament it. To go before our people as a court. Or as a session. Or as individual ministers and elders. And say we have sinned before God and the people. You know one of the most obnoxious things. I have to believe the Lord sees in our midst. Is when our synod and presbyteries and sessions. Find out that we have been in error and sin. And we treat those errors and sins as. And I mean no pun by this. As clerical errors. Instead of sins against God. Oh, well, we made a mistake here. Let's just change the books. No, we sin in doing this. It's not a clerical error. We sinned against the God of heaven. Let us turn our hearts to the Lord. We have to be a people willing to give up our pride and say we have committed iniquities. We must conform our heart and mind to the word of God and repent. And we must humble ourselves before the Lord. The people prayed in verse 4, Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. The very first thing you have to admit is God is angry. 
Nobody wants to say God is angry anymore. Even the ministers of God. We need to reflect on our docket and digest and ask if God is angry. I don't know how you come to a conclusion. You'll have to explain it to me afterwards that comes to saying God is not angry. I would love to hear that calculus. Let us repent of corporate sins in our churches, sins against both tables of the law. Not just a reformation of doctrine, but reformation of life. Even confessing that the love of many has grown cold in our midst. And associated with that would be more days of fasting. Not just days where we fast because we want God's help. Okay, the pulpit is empty, so let's go and ask the Lord for help. But a true fast day. You know how many times I have seen a call for fasting in the Reformed Presbyterian Church, and there's been no call for repentance of sin. How is that even possible? I don't know. Because fasting requires us to repent and lament our sin. A day to fast in an evil day. A day to rend our hearts and not our garments, as we hear in the Bible. In 1830, quote, on account of appalling moral depravity prevailing, end quote, the parish in Kilside appointed a fast day. And from accounts, it was greatly honored by the Lord. And again, the danger would be formalism, right? And this is what many of our fast days are, mere formalism. Go fast and do that, and maybe the Lord will answer our prayer. No, in fasting, we want the Lord to come down. Where we say, I desire nothing on earth but thee, and I will give up my food, I will give up whatever. Because I long for thee. That's the heart of the fast. I will give up my sin. Most of all. As in the days of the exiles. Right? The fast days there. Listen to this question in Zechariah 7.5. When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month. Even those seventy years. Did ye at all fast unto me? Even to me. And that's where I fear much of our religious activity. Brothers is mere formality. We become almost papists here instead of the ten Our Fathers and Hail Marys. Well, I guess we'll prescribe a fast day. Go fast and see what happens. Mm-hmm. We want God to come down. That's what revival is. Rend our hearts and our brother uh, and not our garments. And revival will cost you your sin. Be eager to give it up. Seventh and lastly, we have to bear the cost of our resources. When revival comes, I already mentioned, so I'll be brief here, the people of God are ready to freely give their resources. You know, you can compare the building of the first temple to the second temple. Very easy to see the difference. Religion was revived in David's time, but religion had cooled in Haggai's time. What did they say in Haggai? The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house shall be built. But let me ask, brothers, because you might say, well, it's not time to seek the Lord for revival. Is it not time? Is it not time? When is the time? When is the time? And do you think the Lord is pleased when we say this is not the time? No, he says, this is the time. The Lord's house must be built. When is it that the Lord's house shouldn't be built? When is it that Christ has ceased with his promise? I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know, Should we not then exhort our people to give sacrificially to God's cause? I know that if it is for you as for me, the least liked sermon you like preparing is on tithing. (laughs) Right? But we must deliver it because it's for the health of Zion. 
that God would open the storehouse of heaven as he opens the hearts of his people. Building the kingdom of God. You know, it's sad to me. Well, I will see that the Republican Party will get more of God's people's money than Zion. What is going to build the kingdom, brothers? That tells you we need revival. Exhort your people to be giving people. So seven ways to pay the cost for revival. But let me just ask, is this not a price worth paying, brothers? For why will we give of ourselves this way? Is it not that Jesus Christ may come down and meet us? That his anger would cease and we would see his shining face as we, you know, as the benediction become nothing more than formality for you? Or is that actually what you long for? For God to shine his face upon us. Brothers, if we really long for times of refreshing to come from the presence of the Lord, if there are truly none else that we have in heaven but Christ, and none on earth we desire but him, we would pay any cost, we would pay any price to have him come. So at our prayer meeting, let us cry out to God, O turn us, O God of our salvation, and pray, wilt thou not revive us again? Again, he has done it before, and in our brief time, you have heard of revivals in four centuries. O ye of little faith, he would say, can I not do it again? Surely he will. Again, why is the song in our Psalter to sing and pray of God? Let us have faith. Let us cry out, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Lord, increase our faith. And let us have faith and bear any cost that Christ may dwell in our land, saying, revive us again. Amen. Amen. Let us arise now for prayer.